there's this fascination about using the metaverse to sell more things and to fashion more things. And, but what we really need is a metaverse and a Web3 and a blockchain that allows us to collaborate and solve the world problems. Welcome to the Thriving on Overload podcast. I am Ross Dawson, a futurist and entrepreneur fascinated by how we can excel at dealing with the universe of information and the author of the book, Thriving on Overload. Every week, we share insights from information masters on how they transform today's avalanche of information into insight, foresight, and better decisions. For more goodness on this topic, be sure to visit thrivingonoverload.com, where there are wealth of resources to help you thrive, including all podcast episodes with transcripts, excerpts from my book, and if you are really intent on amplifying your information productivity, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, which helps you develop a personal information plan you can immediately put into practice. And be sure to sign up for our weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter if you want to optimize your information productivity. If you enjoyed this episode, please do subscribe and give a rating or review on iTunes. It helps others interested in this topic to find these resources. Now, on with the show. On this episode, we learn from Frank Spencer. Frank is the founder and creative director of Kedge, a global foresight, innovation, and strategic design firm, and co-founder and lead instructor of The Futures School. He has worked on strategic foresight projects for companies such as Kraft, Mars, Marriott, and the Walt Disney Company, and has spoken about foresight around the globe for the last 20 years. You can find more on his work at thefuturesschool.com and Kedge Futures, that's K-E-D-G-E, futures.com. In this episode, Frank shares insights on the three circles of information, sense-making for complexity, holoptic foresight, swarming, digital angels, colliding trends, mapping connections, and far more. Keep listening to learn from Frank's great insights. Frank, it's awesome to have you on the show. Ross, it's a pleasure to be here. Looking forward to our conversation together. So you have thought a lot, I gather, about uh, information overload, and so I'd love love to hear your uh, your thoughts. Yeah, I love you know focus of the podcast, and I know today people are, you know, this is a big topic for people, right? Um, we're living in a world that's more complicated than ever before, and I'm sure that some of your guests have probably talked about the difference between complexity and complication today. But I think when we think about information overload, we think about things being so complex. For me, it's really interesting because um, I saw a great TikTok by you uh, yesterday. I think it was yesterday. I'm just scrolling through. And of course, we're friends on on TikTok. And uh, I love that you're using that medium as well. And uh, you were you know, talking about how to manage your day and uh, just make sure you don't go over 10 minutes in the morning. And I love that. That was great. I think you know, people are desperately seeking those kinds of ways to manage their time and the information that comes in and, and the overload. And uh, so futures thinking is interesting, right? Because I you know, I know that you know this, but maybe there's some of your audience that aren't aware that when we think about uh, the future and we sort of think about it from the perspective of what we do on a daily basis, we can sort of think almost like three concentric circles. And that inner circle is, you know, what I do and what I'm really concerned about, my job and 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 uh, the things that I have to do every day is sort of that micro environment. And then you've got this, you know, middle bubble that's sort of like 
this is my environment. This is the industry I work in. These are the people I talk to. And this is where the information is, you know, bombarding me. But now we live in this digital environment as well with this outer circle that's, you know, all of this stuff that seems unrelated to us, but it's just information that's bombarding us all the time. The disruption and uh, things that people are worried about that weren't necessarily things that 20 years ago they would have been caring about it all, but there's a much more connected or interconnected world that today. So there's things that we often don't think relate to us now, people realize they do. But as you know, Ross, good futures thinking and foresight really works from the outside in, not the inside out, because it helps us to redefine how we're you know, thinking about our environment. And I think that's why for me, really focusing on sense making is a critical element of that information overload. And what I would really love to say about that, and, and, and if we get a chance to go into it on the podcast a little bit, is this idea of uh, that we formed you know, 12 or 13 years ago, Natural Foresight, and a conference we just had on transformation, is really helping people to actually embrace the complexity. Because, you know, and I know that you know this, but for the audience, there's a big difference really between complexity and complication. Because complexity is really the natural order of the universe. And I was just showing quotes at the anticipation conference last week of all these social scientists and biologists. And, you know, they all were saying something very similar that greater complexity gives us greater ability to find unknowns, to do things, to, you know, tap into unseen possibilities and answers and solutions. And so we definitely don't want to weed out all of that noise, because if we did, we would miss all of this great stuff that could happen, this very transdisciplinary approach. So I think oftentimes what we think is complex is really complicated, and that's us trying to overmanage the situation. And so we put another button in, and we fax another sheet, and we put another, you know, a lever in to try to control it, it gets complicated, it gets very complicated. And that's what gives us the overload. I think more so than the complexity does, because what I would really suggest to manage that overload is to think about the environment differently. When we develop this sense-making for complexity and we embrace it as a friend, not as an enemy, we tend to look at things very differently. Now, I do think there's some um, very practical things that we can do to make you know the rubber meet the road, hit the road here. And uh, you know those deal with broadening our network, you know, having a, uh, a greater uh, swarm around us so that we're able to tap into this information that's needed, but we don't have to house it all by ourselves all at one time, have multiple ways of seeing the world, multiple voices in our network. And so that's a very different way than, than the good information or the good, you know, advice of manage your time. And, and I think those are all legit, of course, but also this idea of seeing complexity in a very different way. And instead of shunning it, developing our sense-making ability to say, well, how is this complexity broadening the way I see things so that I don't feel overwhelmed by that information, but I rather am internalizing that information with networks and connections and swarms that are allowing me to think in a way that I've never thought before. It actually enlivens and empowers us rather than overwhelms us. Let's dig into that. So, you know, one of those themes is around the swarms. So, Let's dig into sort of what's that like, having that swarm of other people or ideas. Yeah. Uh, so how, how does that work and how does somebody put that in place in their life and work? That, that's a great question. And I think it's so important today. you know, we hear about, um, you know, holism being more important in organizations today and the multiple ways or models that we might get that in place for over the past decade 
we've been talking about something that we call holotic foresight. And it's a really fancy term, um, but to break it down, uh, what it really refers to is the eye uh, that sits on the head of a dragonfly or a damselfly. Those uh, insects are unique. There are some other insects that have this kind of holoptic eyes, but a whole optic eye is an eye that is 360 degrees at all times. So a dragonfly has an eye that covers the entire head. He can see forward and backwards, up and down, right and left. But the really interesting thing is uh, not that we can't look behind us. We don't have eyes in the back of our head like a dragonfly does. But the dragonfly doesn't look at those parts separately they rather look at it as a whole. So could you imagine if we had that? It would probably drive us crazy, but maybe not because we would be designed for that, right? To have an eye that has a 360-degree vision that allows them to see the environment very differently than we see with our eye. So even though our physical eyes aren't probably ever going to evolve to that state, um, we weren't made for that. Um, is there a way that we can model that whole optic eye of the dragonfly? And uh, when you really zoom in on the eye, it's really interesting because you see all of these little uh, clusters and cells. They are the individual parts of the eye that make up a whole. And so likewise, is there a way for us to develop swarmed or holoptic uh, networks that allow us to say, look, your diversity, my diversity, her diversity, his diversity is very important to coming together and bringing a common whole or a cooperation. So what does, what does that look like for an individual? Let's say individual, yeah. they're saying, all right, well, this, this sounds great. I want to be able to get this, you know, many facets to see the world through. That's right. What do they do? How do they put that in place? Yeah. So I think, of course, obviously in organizations, we've got to think much more about hybrid value chains, right? There's many ways that we can think about this, but now we see, you know, these four P models that are taking place of, uh, you know, public, private partnerships. And I forget what the fourth P stands for, but you see this four P model all the time. And it's really beyond just public private partnerships to saying like, how can we really get out of this, these siloed molds because our educational organizations are siloed. Our organizations are siloed. And we for so long have leaned on and honored and um, esteemed uh, the siloing because it allows us to think, you know, just about my one area and I can really dig down deep. And that's valuable. But research has even shown that the more we silo, the more we exacerbate our problems because we're missing all of this information that can connect in between that creates new solutions we've never thought of before instead of trying to solve our problems from within the context of the problem. And so our organizations have to be more fluid. They need to be more open. Um, we, we need to, to create organizational models that allow us to connect outside of what that organization traditionally thinks is their DNA or what they're doing. And that means new work models too, right? That means new talent acquisition models um, that might not be you work for this company, but I work for seven different companies. And not just so that the individual can have the freedom to work for seven companies, but the companies benefit for you working. So I know, you know, there's IP protection and all of this. I, I, I get that we get into those things, but we have to start thinking about how we unsilo those things in terms of governments, very similar. But for me as an individual, I mean, we've got this great thing called the internet. 
maybe you don't think it's so great because it's done a lot of damage. We see what's going on with Twitter right now. And, and uh, you know, we've seen uh, how it's directed behind the scenes, uh, even elections and governments and wars and those kinds of things. But the original idea, and I think David Eagleman had a great talk uh, in 2011 at the Long Now Foundation. You can find that talk online, uh, probably on YouTube. And he really talked back in 2011 about civilization has never had a tool like this before that allows us to swarm in ways that elevate civilization to a new place. So back in 2011, he wasn't thinking about what might happen with Elon Musk and Twitter in 2022 um, and what might have happened with, you know, the elections in Australia or the United States and other places in 2018 and 2020. But certainly he was saying, we have these tools, we have digital tools, we have organizational tools, but we really need to shift the way we think about siloing to connecting more. So we could go off on a whole tangent about how we need to really build what I might refer to as digital angels instead of digital devils or digital demons and and how that kind of model of the internet could connect us in ways to swarm so that I don't have to have all of it in my head. I can rely on the swarm to build that holoptic eye for me. And that's a way of managing information that's not just about siloing that information, but rather letting the information breathe among a diverse cohort of people that will you know, open up new areas for jobs and, and talent and what n- new ideas, new products, new innovations, et cetera. So, so what is a digital angel? Yeah. So I think, you know, this we see on a lot of people working on the net. The good news is, you know, you, you watch the media and they'll tell you all the bad news. So you got that out of the way. <laughs> the good news is behind the scenes, there's tons of people working on tons of great things around the world, right? And we just don't hear about that very often. And uh, this idea of digital angel actually came from a sci-fi author friend of mine. And I think he was writing a book on it at the time. I don't know if he ever finished it, but I was speaking at a conference in New York a couple of years ago. And he said, like, uh, you know, we know what a digital devil is and we see them all the time and bots online and misinformation. But what we need to really do is develop these nodes individual nodes and also regional collective nodes, swarms that are really watching out for ethics on the net. And uh, that doesn't mean necessarily censoring, but finding how we can get information to the forefront that's true and and protecting this environment so that it can be helpful t- for people to collaborate in, to build in, to model in. That's a great idea. Who is the author of that? Yeah, I, it's going to come to me in just a minute. And uh, if not, I'll let you know uh, after the show is over, I'll look it up and, th- and you can put it in the notes or something so that we make sure that we give cre- credit where credit's due. Yeah, that would be great. And also... Do you, are you aware of any uh, actual examples of this uh, in practice? Well, you know, it's interesting. We wrote a scenario for a, a company a couple of years ago, a large international food company. And uh, one of the scenarios that we wrote, and of course, you know, in scenario writing, a lot of research goes behind it. It's much like science fiction authors do, right? They're not just making it wild stories. They do a lot of, a lot of research about technologies and where things are going. Um, and in this particular one, we looked up several different examples of people that were actually building ethics in the internet. And and I can't remember the particular names right now, but that's another thing that I could actually send to you after the show's over. Maybe we could reference some of those, but there are great examples of people that are working on, again, what we might refer to as these digital angel organizations to really flip the net. And I think this is a really valuable conversation for this moment where we're talking about Web3 and the blockchain and all of this, right? Because there's this fascination about using the metaverse for to sell more things and to fashion more things. And But what we really need is a metaverse and a Web3 and a blockchain that allows us to collaborate, to solve the world problems in ways that we haven't 
before. Yeah. So we're at a real yeah. tipping point, I think, for the net right now. And um, hopefully we'll see more and more people get involved in Web3 development uh, that are really truly saying, when I say decentralized net, I mean so that we can work together in this sort of holoptic or swarming way to bring our diversity together to create a new whole that we've never seen before. You are listening to the Thriving on Overload podcast. If you truly want to increase your information productivity, then check out the Thriving on Overload interactive course. It is designed to significantly enhance your information practices and habits, guiding you through creating your own personal information plan so you can excel in a world of overload. Go to thrivingonoverload.com slash course to find out more. Now back to the show. So I want to want to dig into your uh, practices. So obviously you help many organizations uh, think about the future, which involves uh, being able to be aware of what's happening in the present. Love to hear you or you and potentially you and your colleagues together. How it is you practice? What is your practice for? You know, obviously you're immersed in overload more than almost anyone. And the fact that you know you have to be across everything, right. you clearly thrive on that. So what's your practice? I mean, you can even take me through the day or what are the things that you do to be able to uh, achieve that? That's exactly right. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question. Of course, the organization that we formed probably about 12 years ago, Kedge, is our mothership. That's the, the main company. And we are a, a foresight and innovation strategic design firm. And we've worked with companies like General Mills and the Walt Disney Company and intelligence agencies. I was going to say which one, but I oftentimes I've said it to them and they're like, you have to say intelligent agency. Don't tell us what agency it was. Or you might have to, we might have to come after you. And, you know, organizations like that, that I've, that you've worked for as well. So, you know, Fortune 500s and 100s and SMEs and governments and all kinds of people. And so that does mean that on a daily basis, we're looking across a you know swath of different kinds of information and then connecting it, you know, because a lot of the just regular daily scanning that we might do, which happens off and on, I don't normally, because it's my job, set a time aside during the day when I scan. That's just me. I'm more of a type B person, I guess. Everybody else in the organization is very type A and they always are like, oh, here comes Frank. The, he's going to disrupt the whole thing. But I'm more the kind of person that just as I'm going along and doing my daily routine, the scanning comes that way. Of course, if we're working with a client, we're going to not say that to them. We're going to say, hey, look, here's how you really set aside a time during the day where you can really scan around information. Here's the kind of information that you want to scan around. But scanning is an important part of our day. And that just means looking across the net um, and in different media places and even out in the physical world for um, signposts and, and ideas about um, what's on, on, the, on the horizon, what's in the mainstream, what's in the fringe, um, what's rising, what patterns are forming, emerging landscapes of change. Um, that's a big part of our day. Yeah, and I think that's actually one of the, the really important points I make in uh, the book Thriving on Overload is, you know, don't just look at printed information right. or information on screens, you know, there's get up and look around and get out there. That's so uh, one of the best possible ways to get a sense of what's going on in the world. So true. I mean, and, and it's my favorite way is to, you know, we've, we've actually even 
dug into that so deeply that we've had multiple clients that we take out on field trips in California, here in Florida, where we reside, and across the world that we've taken into certain places in downtown areas or festivals and, and teach them really how to look for, you know, what are people wearing? What are they doing? What are they consuming? What kinds of businesses are attracted here? What does that mean, you know, when you think about new patents and ideas and innovations and products? And so it's really great to, you know, be able to walk down a city block and, and to be able to see uh, you know, how this impacted them, what's on the fringe, what's arising. So when, when you're seeing things, or you're scanning, you see something interesting, what, what do you do with it? Yes. So if we see something interesting, we do several things with it. For one thing, we put it in our scanning repository, and there's lots of ways that you could capture, you know, scanning information. Um, we make sure we tag it, which means that if we're working with a particular client, we might put tags on it for us to go back to and say, this was about the future of shampoo, or this is about the future of dog food, or this might be about the future of rhinos, because we worked a couple of years ago with the top 40 rhino experts in the world. They're using foresight to really think about rhino conservation. And so we might tag it with those kinds of things or whatever the focal issue is about. Or generally, if we're just scanning, it's not for a client, I see interesting pieces of information that I know are going to come back up again. And it's just important for no matter what client we get, then we might, you know, tag or, or rep uh, put those in the repository with ideas, or, you know, around whatever they are that they're speaking to us. Because I will say that one of the most important parts for me of scanning is not what I, the thing I see or the thing I read says on the surface. It's what's in between. And as a matter of fact, we even teach, when we teach scanning, we teach people to really scan three different ways. Um, and we talk, we talk about scanning around what's on the surface. And so the trends and those things. And of course, if you're in competitive intelligence or consumer insights, you're like, well, I, I already do that, you know. Uh, but do you scan around the values as well? So, the, so that's the next layer down because we know that value creation comes out of trends and values create or, you know, merge or bubble up to do trends. And so what are those values? And oftentimes when we're reading or looking, we're really looking for those things that are in between what values are emerging and what does it mean? And then we're also looking at the, the impacts on humanity. So it's really three different ways of sort of scanning. And then we collect those, we put them in repositories, they go into pattern building, which means multiple values, trends, and impacts that really create emerging landscapes of change. So these things are interrelated in some way. And that really takes us back again to that sense-making piece. So we're not just collecting trends and saying, here's the top 10 trends, because that's not enough. That's just scratching the surface. We need to understand how those trends are interacting, because in the real world, none of this information that is bombarding us are, are in pieces. They're all colliding, converging, and intersecting. And because of that, it's more important to see how they're patterning than how they are you know, impacting alone. 3D printing and the metaverse. And yes, those are things that are individual, but how are they colliding with one another? And what does that really mean for healthcare and for construction and for government, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? So, so I want to come back to the sense-making in a moment. But, but first... I suppose you're pointing to these ways in which we are sensitizing ourselves. Right. So rather than just looking around, we're looking around and we're looking for values. We're looking around, we're looking for trends. We're, we are becoming more sensitive to the world. Yes. And I think you know, that's a fundamental part, of course, just to be able to understand what's going on, to be able to, right. uh, to see it in a frame that helps us to make sense. But that starts to mean that there is, well, that's not overload, but there's just more and more. As we more sensitize ourselves, there's more and more to see, there's more and more to, to notice, 
So how do we deal with that, I suppose? Yeah. Rather than, all right, there's plenty of people who go through the world with tunnel vision, and that That's makes correct. it a bit easier for them. In some That's ways. one way to deal with it. But once we yeah. sensitize ourselves, we're sort of, we're seeing so much. So how is it that we balance that? Yeah. And, and I think one of the things I was suggesting, because certainly we can say, look, I can't I know people often hate this phrase, but they can't swallow the ocean. I think that's the phrase. And we can't do that. And that's why I think it's important to understand the information we're seeing in the context that we're in. Now, of course, as you just suggested, it can change our context somewhat. But I love this phrase that I heard a long time ago, and it's that we must hold tightly to our vision, but be ready to let go of strategy in a moment's notice. So applying that to this situation, I think it really means that the information we're taking in doesn't change the context or doesn't change the vision necessarily, but it does change our strategy around it, which could very well broaden the vision and alter the vision and help us to see the vision in a way we weren't thinking of before, but it's still that vision, right? And so it doesn't mean that the information when we take it in that way is going to overwhelm what it is that we're trying to accomplish. It means that we're making sense of it in our context. Um, so we're not just making sense of the world. Oh, I, I can, I, I understand my identity in this context and whew, I was really struggling with this for a moment, but now I can understand how this makes sense for the world. But we have to really center those things around what it is that that we're doing and we're trying to accomplish our vision. That vision then is the, the vision of, you know, your your objectives, your objectives for the organization. Right. So you're saying that if you have clarity on that, that then starts to, you know, make that. And I think that's so one of the points uh, you know, again, I, I make in Thriving Overload is that it's a shift from overwhelmed to abundance right. in the sense of you've got overwhelmed because you've got too much, but if you have a sense of purpose, then everything, basically you've got as much information as you possibly That's want. Right. You know, that clarity around that vision or purpose or direction, whatever it is, then starts to, you know, essentially mean that everything is a resource and everything shapes something in the middle rather than just being not having any you know, it all all just being a mishmash. Yeah, that's beautifully put. And as a matter of fact, we just had a retreat, our first in-person get-together since COVID took place. And the reason we were super comfortable with it is because um, we all went to a retreat center in Northern California um, above San Francisco, and it was in the rolling hills, and it was beautiful. And we had all kinds of people came there and, and, and met with a Zan Chandler, who is uh, a professor at OCAD and one of the um, Association of Professional Futures board members was there with us. And we had just this great cross section of different people there. One of the world's uh, most awarded and renowned slam poets was there with us. It was a really cool collection of people. And uh, so they all brought a very diverse way of seeing things. And of course, every one of them came with their passion or purpose, as you put it, their, their passion. I love that. And um, that's exactly what I'm talking about. But during that time we were there, we really talked about the fact that we are nature and to not silo. And if we're nature, we're anticipatory. And if that's the case, we can co-create together and we can collaborate and we can cooperate without losing our diversity. And it was amazing to see people leave the retreat and say, I feel more passionate now about the thing that I was passionate about when I came in than I did before I got here, because now I realize that all of your passions can help me understand my passion better and connecting with the cosmos in a greater way and understanding that I'm not disconnected. Humans are a part of nature and nature is anticipatory has helped me to think about this in ways I never thought about it before. So I love how you just put that. It's not about like just hearing the information and being overwhelmed, but it's about receiving it and understanding it in the context of what makes us passionate and gives abundance to our passion. I love that you use the word abundance there. 
here. It just enlarges or empowers the scope of that passion. Oh, that's fantastic. No, I, and I really resonate with that. I, I often I have those interactions where I think, well, you, you've made me even more excited about what I was excited exactly. about before because of because of the the complementarity. Yeah. So coming back to sense making, and and that that's a, a phrase we understand, but it is it's it's very conceptual in a way. So I'd like you to try to make it as grounded as possible. What advice can you give to people that saying, I've got lots of information, I've got lots of bits and pieces of things, I'm trying to do this. What can I do to be able to make sense of that? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that happens even in our practice, because we have to make the rubber meet the road too. And of course, our clients are like, that's great, Frank, sense making. Can you make this, you know, very practical, as Ross just said. So one of the things that we like to do is we like to keep a running mind map going. And we actually have whiteboards all over the office. Right now, you're seeing me in the studio because over the last three years we built, I'm, I'm actually, I can look at, you know, like, 10 different cameras here and actually Ross is over there. So I'm just looking at the camera, but I see his face to the side because there's all kinds of screens and this is all, this is actually real behind me. That's not a fake background, but it's all, it's fake in the manner that there's like a whole nother studio behind it and such. So um, I say that to say that I'm in here out there down the hall and in the office is um, just whiteboards like crazy. And um, uh, however you do it, you know, there needs to be a way for us to be able to take this information that we see. And if we're working on new models or new organizational uh, resources or operations, or we're working on an entrepreneurial idea or innovations, how can we actually map these ideas and make sense of them? So one way we, we do that is we first talk about the collision of ideas or information that we're getting. And that's what really makes what we might call pattern recognition. So I want you to keep like a whiteboard or on a piece of paper somewhere or something where, uh, where, where, where colleagues can see this. So maybe you're an individual in your house, but are, are you meeting on Zoom with people? You know, are you have a group, a mentoring group, or maybe you're in an organization. So now you've actually got a room where you can put this up. I want you to actually do that and make sense of the collision of these pieces of information. Obviously, you're thinking about it around your, what I might call a focal issue, but I love Ross's use of the word passion here. So your passion issue, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? What are, what are you passionate about? And what are we doing here? Um, so first of all, look at the collision of these things. Oh, A, B, C, and D, they really speak to this pattern arising. This is the thing that's happening that could really impact what we're doing. And so we're mind mapping through that entire process. And and so uh, every time that we go another layer down with that mind mapping, we're really drawing out this sense making, but we're never losing sight that it has to relate back to our passion again. So you could put this in circles or you know squares or however it best suits you, but to find some way to actually mind map this information so that you can stand back and see how what it's speaking to and what it's shifting and what it's changing speaks to the issue that you're really trying to relate it to and what that might mean in terms of change or adaptation or resilience or transformation, or I like to often say even a higher order purpose. It's like, this is what we're trying to accomplish. But gosh, now that I know this information, this can add to what we're doing in ways that we never thought of before. But you're not going to be able to do that if it's just floating around your head. You're going to need to be able to do this collectively with others to put it down on paper, to mind map this thing on a whiteboard, to get it out somewhere where you can really see it. And so <laughs> if I could take you in a, on a journey out into the office out there, you would see all of these mind maps that 
wouldn't make a lot of sense unless you were working with the clients. Um, and they look convoluted, but to us, they're beautiful paintings of, you know, how this connects to the issue and how we can actually make sense of this. Yeah. And, and I think that that's around the relationship between the ideas. So you've got all these ideas, this insights, these inform- you know, data, whatever it may be, but it's the relationships between them out of which sense happens. And, and I think, so I use you know, paper and digital tools, but I, I think there's a real power to putting it on a big, as big a possible canvas to draw that out. I do too. I, 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 you know, I'm still a tactile person like that. And of course I'm a child of the seventies and, and a teen in the eighties, but, but, and of course I use digital tools now. And I, you know, we love mirror. We've had a longstanding decade long relationship with mural. Um, and we're grandfathered in back when one of their first clients was the Walt Disney company, where we built a foresight team that spans 45 countries. Um, and so they've been using mural ever since. Um, and I love to use those tools, Miro, whatever it is that you use are all great. But there's just something about being able to have that board in front of you and and you're conversing and you're and 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 you're working together, you're collaborating, you're cooperating. And there's something that's not just the information that goes on the board, but the but sort of the 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 mirror that happens back between the board and the group or you yourself, um, where it's changing that environment. So there's this re- I love that you just use the word relationship, it's so powerful. And um and being able to see those circles and that and those connections on the board that says, this is what this would mean for us. And this is how we make sense of this environment. And this is how we'll need to adapt or be resilient or transform to take our opportunity to transform because all living things transform. And that goes for people and organizations and governments, et cetera. If they're alive, if they're living, they eventually have to transform. And so that, that you know, being able to just, that tactile element is so important for me. Yeah, that's fantastic. Being, uh, you know, incredible, you know, just touching the surface, I suppose, of your practices, but I guess that's, you know, love, love to provide people a touch point to find out more about your work or even examples of that where where can people go yeah so the the place you want to go nowadays uh online is the futures school so there's two s's together there between futures and school.com thefutureschool.com um going into next year just a i'll i'll give a little teaser hint that we're not completely rebranding but we're 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 going to you know, pull a, a BCG, PWC, <laughs> EY stunt here, I think, because people have known us for STFS for the longest time. And actually, even though the the uh, mothership uh, is Kedge. Everybody knows this is the Future School now, and so we're rebranding completely towards that. The Future School is a great resource. There's, as a matter of fact, this has been what we call the year of free for us. So we just tabulated yesterday since we're getting to the end of the year. And this year, people have not, around the world have been nominating other people to go to one of our programs, our three-day training program that was born out of our work um, with large corporations, Fortune 100s from years ago. We used to do this three-day program to sort of kick things off for them. And then it went public about eight years ago, and it just went gangbusters. And we've done it all around the world. Now we do it online. It's our foundations program. We also have a six-month activations program. And next year, we'll have a, a lot of more programs because the future schools are learning ecosystem. So during this year of free, people have nominated people to go to that. And we've given away $200,000 in seats this year and had, I think, 95 uh, people around the world get nominated this year. So it was really cool. Um, and that's a place where you can get free resources, Go to the resource center. We gave away all our resources this year. You can still get free resources until December 31st. Just go to the checkout and everything says $0 and you can check out and get all kinds of templates and tools and great stuff. So thefutureschool.com, that's where you want to go. 
That's fantastic. And it's, I think, you know, that generosity of sharing is, is really important because uh, these are such important capabilities. So thank you so much for your, your time and your insights, Frank. It's been a real pleasure. What an honor to speak to you today, Ross. Um, you know, we here at the Future School, uh, Vet, of course, my business partner who used to be the head futurist of the Walt Disney Company, we respect you greatly from afar. And uh, it's a great honor to be on your podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. If you want more resources to help you thrive in a world of exponential information, go to thrivingonoverload.com, where you can find all podcast episodes, transcripts, show notes, excerpts from my book, Thriving on Overload, the Thriving on Overload interactive course, and a trove of other useful content and resources, including a weekly Tips for Thriving newsletter to keep across it all. If you like this episode, please do help us be found by giving us a rating or review and subscribe if you'd like to hear more. This is Ross Dawson. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day.